0: within 16 months or 18 months or so, I was able to do all three steps very quickly. So, and then I was able to apply it. So it would be different for other people, but I'll say you definitely need a timetable. You definitely need a, an endpoint inside. Don't just be like studying, studying. Set a date and work towards it because if you don't study it, you're always gonna be pushing it back, all right? So when, when you set the date and you pay for the exam, it's like a commitment because each time you push by the exam, that's more money you have to pay. So that's what I would, i would advise people set the dates work toward the dates do your practice exam if you get a good grade just go for it and do the exam don't be too nervous or shy or anything like that because the more you push it back it's not going to help i'm telling you because it's more time wasting more money wasting and you start to forget stuff so it's just like a vicious vicious cycle
1: Hey there, and welcome to the IMG Residency Match Podcast. You're in the right place if you're an ambitious international medical graduate who wants insider strategies and inspiration to help you match into residency. I'm your host, Shauna Kay Lester. I've been an admission consultant and writing coach for 12 years, and for the last seven years, I've helped IMGs create residency applications that help them get multiple interviews. Match and create the medical career they want. For the foreign medical graduates, sometimes work competes with your preparation for the USMLEs. Today's guest, Dr. Xian Betty, detoured to becoming a clinical tutor as he prepared for the match, and he excelled in his step exams. Though he's pretty humble about it, today he's going to talk to us about you know what he matched into, where he's working now what to focus on as you start your own USMLE journey, how to avoid the step one trap, pretty important, and the episode also dives into the ideal calendar for a foreign medical graduate still in medical school, and what really makes you stand out once you get into residency training. Before we jump in, we have to thank our sponsor, the IMG Residency Match Application Accelerator for making this podcast possible. The IMG Residency Match Application Accelerator is a personalized premium program to help ambitious IMGs like you create an application that gives you the best possible odds of matching. You can find out more at imgresidencymatch.com. Remember to stay tuned until the very end for today's word of inspiration. So if you could please just tell me a little bit about who is Shion Betty.
0: Sure. Um, so I am currently in my second year of internal medicine residency program. Um, I'm at Piedmont Athens Regional in Georgia, in the United States. Prior to that, you know, I was born and raised in rural Jamaica. I went to high school in Glenmere, Glenmere in Clarendon, and then I went on to pursue a career in medicine. Um, I studied at University of the West Indies. I worked for a bit, and then I um, taught for a few years as well at a medical school in Grenada, and then I decided to Go on to pursue my residency postgraduate training in the United States.
1: Why had you decided to teach for a little bit in Grenada? Could you tell me about that?
0: So it was kind of to help me actually prepare for my exam in some way because I did start preparing for my exams while I was working in Jamaica, but really didn't have as much time to commit to it and I realized that the process was being drawn up. So I heard about the opportunity and I decided to go over there and it was really a good decision in terms of being able to have more time to prepare for my exam and to be in a more academic setting, preparing for the USMLE, to, it makes more logical sense. So that's what I did.
1: And just in terms of getting involved in medicine, what would you say drew you to medicine?
0: The love started from as early as primary school for me. I really liked studying sciences. Any any science subject was definitely my favorite. And then also tying with the my love and compassion for people that I have. I really like taking care of people. I always be that person that wants to know how you're doing and generally wants to know how you're doing. Combining both of them really made me want to pursue medicine because I think that that's the field that really combined those two aspects together. You know, the backbone of sciences, which is what medicine is all about, plus the art of taking care of people, which is really important.
1: All right. When you say the art of taking care of people, why do you think it's an art?
0: Because to me, it's something that it's more innate and I see that there are a lot of people who go into medicine, unfortunately, because they're forced into medicine or that's what their family wants them to do, or because their parents are doctors, they become become a physician as well. And those people are usually not very happy. And you will find them out very early because they, sometimes they go into different fields. But if it's something that you really want to do to help people, then I think it's definitely, it will show differently. And it will make you much happier and the patients will know the difference as well so when you have that genuine love and care for people it comes off differently than somebody who's just doing it because you're doing it, so.
1: okay i've definitely heard other people say that as well that very early on in training you can kind of tell the difference between people's motivation for being there all right, so without breaching any confidentiality, could you tell us who would you say has been your most memorable patient experience doing medical school or during internship?
0: I definitely could say that I have a number of patients who have touched my life in different ways, but for me, I think the major one was when I was in maybe third or fourth year of medical school. I can't remember right now, but it's way back when I just started clinical rotations, basically. There was this patient, I was at Yui, doing my rotation at the time at the university hospital there. And then I met this young lady. She was about my age at the time. I was probably early twenties. She had sickle cell disease and she was in the hospital f- for one of the complications of her, of her sickle cell disease. And we were just talking about life. And, and she was like, hey, you know, I wanted to become a doctor when I was younger, but because of how, how bad her sickle cell disease was, she was always in and out of hospitals. So her education was always broken up and she never really got the chance to been able to study and go to university and all these things. And, you know, it really hit me that even though, you know, you're in medicine and you, you think you have all these problems, you know, you have all these exams to study for, you know, all these things that's going on, but it's really a privilege because there's so many people out there that would really want to do that and they can because of bigger reasons than you. And you're like, it's, it's really a blessing and you should never take it for granted. So I've never forgotten that experience um, from the young lady that, you know, she really wanted to do medicine. but unfortunately. She just didn't get a chance to do it because of just health-related issues. She couldn't really get the kind of education and the grades and everything to get her into to medical school.
1: So do you kind of walk around with that in mind now whenever things get difficult? Is it something that still carries you?
0: Oh, yeah. And I think it's important for us to all have something that drives us because some days it's not, it's not going to be a meadow full with flour every day in medicine. Some days are going to be tough. and those are the days and you're going to need that extra motivation as to why am I doing this? You know, when you're out working at two o'clock in the morning when everybody else is sleeping and somebody's patient is calling you and they do generally have a problem that they want help with. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know, why now? I'm just trying to rest. I'm just, just sitting down for the first two minutes of the day. <laughs> you, those are the things that say, hey, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, you know, and you go and you go into that room. And even though you haven't slept all day, you go in and you you have to deal with that patient as if they were, they're the first person you're seeing for the entire day. So those are the kind of motivations of getting up out of your bed at two o'clock when you get a call to see a patient who's having shortness of breath, who is having cough or something for you to go and see them and give them the care that they deserve.
1: And so why did you decide to pursue residency training in the United States?
0: Coming out of medical school, I knew I wanted to do residency and I also knew that I wanted to do it overseas. It didn't necessarily have to be in the US, but I knew I wanted to do it in a different environment from where I do medicine. And the reason for that is that I wanted to have a a diverse training. And I feel like going into a different country, different culture, you get exposed to a different population and also their technology and everything. And, you know, it's more advanced. The countries that I was looking at is either Canada, the US or somewhere in Europe, most likely the UK. So these are more first world countries. Um, these are countries that have more advanced medicine so i really wanted to tap into that uh, aspect of medicine that more or less we didn't get exposed to in jamaica i'm not saying that anything is wrong with jamaica because the training is great i can tell you that people always like to have jamaicans in their program because we do have a really strong training but you know there are there are a lot of things that we don't have and we're working towards getting that in the future but as a friend right now, if you can get a diverse training, I don't see why not. It's kind of like the same way, way some people do their, their first degree at one school, then they go to do their second degree at a different school. Okay, you want to get you know, the diversity. You want to see what's going on in a different program. You want to meet different people. You, know, you want to expand who you're taking care of, who you're seeing, and your friends and everything like that.
1: Okay, great. Absolutely. And so what you imagined it would be when you were applying, has it turned out to be that now that you're there?
0: Um, Yes and no. Um, Yes, in terms of the technology and access to just doing things, it's so much easier. A lot of things are more evidence-based or up-to-date medicine, which is great. So you have to always be reading. It's very much evidence-based practice here, especially in a residency program. Um, The Access to care um, in terms of getting labs and images is much better. So those things, I'd say yes. It definitely has met my... My expectations. Okay. In terms of other things that you never expect to be in a first world country, like you know, patients actually have a lot of the similar problems, and even worse than back home in Jamaica, because in terms of insurance issues, it's a big problem. Especially right. when you're seeing patients in the in the clinic, in the outpatient setting, in the hospitals when they're admitted, they can get the stuff done because they're there, but when you have them in the clinic. If they don't have a good insurance, then it's pretty tough. And even to get medication, like, you know. So I know that in Jamaica, we have the National Health Fund thing. And you can, patients can go to the job serve and they get their medication, even though they have to wait from 5 a.m. to 12 o'clock in the day. It doesn't matter. But it's a big help. And looking back, I'm like, wow, it's really a blessing. Because a lot of people here would probably wish they have that. There are positives and there's negatives to everything. So, yeah, you have to just kind of take it as it goes.
1: Yeah, um, I find that IMGs are oftentimes surprised by the huge role that health insurance plays in healthcare in the U.S. Like, you will die. <laughs> a lot of people yeah, think yeah, that. You yeah, you will literally die. Yeah, you will yeah. die. That because they can go to the ER, you know, like they're going to be okay. And it's like, nope, you'll die. Yeah. So it, It's it, crazy.
0: Like, and you won't necessarily, I mean, I have been to the U.S. so many times before, but it's like working here. Working and, in it. And working in it is a big difference. Like, I didn't know it was like that.
1: All right. So for people who are considering residency training in the United States, the USMLEs, that's normally a big hurdle for people. It can be very daunting. So for the person who's just starting out on their journey, what do you recommend for them to focus on
0: first? So I'll say they need to, first of all, do their research, speak to people who have walked the path before. There are many different exams out there. It doesn't have to be USMLE. It may not be for you. I know... Um, there's Canadian exams, there's also the, the PLABS, which is the UK exams, right? Those are probably the three major ones and the USMLE, of course. There's also the Australian exam. So you wanna know if this is the right path for you because each of those exams have their pros and cons, right? So with the USMLE, it's probably often described as a more involved one. So it's a lot, three steps. And, you know, you have to do a lot more studying, especially in terms of basic science knowledge, which is more, it's very, heavy driven on basic science knowledge. So you really have to know, do you want to go back to do all those basic science studying again that you did in medical school? And the reason why I'm saying that is that a lot of people, I know they spend a lot of money, they do the first step, or they pay for it, and they just don't continue, right? So, and it's like a lot of investment. You don't want to spend all that money and time into something that you're not going to complete. So that's the first thing I'd say, research and talk to people. Make sure that it's for you, if it's not for you, it's okay to do the PLABS. It's two steps for the PLABS. It's not as heavily based on clinical and basic sciences. And you can go ahead and do that and pursue your residence in the UK. So you have to find out if is the USMD right for me. And once it's found that out, I'd say the first exam, you know, you don't necessarily have to do it step by step. I know people who do the, their step two first because that's more clinically based and that's where they are in their life right now. And that's okay. And I feel like that's a good, a good way to start if, if you are doing clinicals, because it helps you to get one of the exams out of the way. And once one of those mountains are out of the way, you can just kind of like, it's a better drive for you. Because I know people who spend years upon years, literally practicing for their step one, and it just never happens because they've been out of that preclinical mindset for, minutes, for so long, and they can't really grasp a lot of those concepts um, so easily. So if you can do your CK or your CS, before and get that motivation, get that push into your step one, that could be an option. So you don't have to do it one, two, three steps. You can do it anywhere you want.
1: And so it is said that Shion performed very well on his step exams. And so I wanted to know if you had any specific recommendations in that vein, like for people who are looking to really blow the testing out of the water, What are some sort of things that they can do to prepare.
0: By the grace of God, yes, I was able to get Good grades for the field that I wanted to go in. What I would say to people is that it's a lot of work, so they need to definitely commit the time to studying, especially for this the step one. That was probably the one that took me the longest time to prepare for. Um, get your resources. Um, the URL is definitely an important investment. You have to have that. That's the question bank that you need. And also, there are videos online or you could get from friends that's, that were pretty useful for me the Kaplan videos. Also, I studied a lot with, with friends, so studied by myself, but then we meet up and we study again, so that kind of helped to reinforce the information for me. So that's certainly helped me to do, do well in my exam. But that said, you know, looking back, the programs, they look at more than just the grades. So if you already get to step one and it's not like as high as you want, don't feel down or disdain or it's not going to work for you. because you come to residency, you realize there are a lot of people with different grades than you and it's, they look at a lot more than just grades, right? So in fact, they're actually trying to petition to get rid of the grading system. So maybe in a few years, it's going to be a pass or fail, just like the PLABS exam. So they're really trying to move away from the grades. Some program directors don't like that because, you know, it makes it a little bit more challenging. But I'm saying that to say that it's not all about the grades. There are a lot more things that they look for in terms of their selection. So If you do a lot of volunteering, that's great. If you have a lot of research, that's also great. If you have experience rotating in the U.S., you know, as an elective or observer, that's also great. If you have a very strong personal statement or or CV, that goes a long way as well. So there's a lot more things than grades. It's one important aspect, but if you haven't reached the so-called high grades, it's not the end of the road for you.
1: Okay, thank you. That's very encouraging. So just thinking about studying on a timetable, what would you advise people to do? So let's say somebody is still in medical school, approaching the end of medical school. Should they plan to do this over two years, over the space of a year? What did your personal timetable look like? And how do you think you were able to pull it off?
0: For that question, everybody will have a different way of doing it. Like when I was in med school, I actually didn't think about doing the exam. Probably didn't even know about this exam or just big information about the exam. So if you're in medical school now and you know about the exam and that's what you really want to do, that's great. I would say try to do your step one in third year medical school or around that time because that's when you're going to finish your preclinical years, going into clinical year. And that's when the information is fresh in your brain. That's when you can review the material and it's, it's much more relevant for you. So I would say definitely do your step one around the time of your starting or finishing third year. I'll say do your CK at the end of fifth year. So after you do your final MBBS exam, think about doing your CK and your CS at that time. And then by the time you finish, at that time you can actually apply for residency or you can decide to do a one-year internship back home to get some more clinical experience and then you come up the year after. That's like the ideal situation in somebody who A, can afford it in addition to paying for medical school and they're really are strongly thinking about doing that. For me, it was after I started working in my second year of working, that's when I decided that I was gonna do overseas residency. I always knew that I wanted to do residency, but wasn't too sure of where. For me, I started um, studying when I was in my senior, uh, my SHO year, which is the senior house officer year. And um, I had a six month timetable for me to prepare for my step one. And I was able to do that within the six month period with the aid of me going off into um, teaching in, in Grenada. So that helps as, as well. And then I was able to do the step, the step two CS and CK that was done. Both of those were done within the next six months. Within 16 months or 18 months or so, I was able to do all three steps very quickly. So, and then I was able to apply. So it would be different for other people, but I'll say you definitely need a timetable. You definitely need a, an endpoint inside. Don't just be like studying, studying set a date and work towards it because if you don't study it, you're always going to be pushing it back. All right. So when, when you set the date and you pay for the exam, it's like a commitment because each time you push by the exam, that's more money you have to pay. So that's what I would, what I would advise people set the date, work towards the dates, do your practice exam. If you get a good grade, just go for it and do the exam. Don't be too nervous or shy or anything like that because the more you push it back, it's not going to help. I'm telling you, because It's more time wasting, more money wasting, and you start to forget stuff. So it's just like a vicious cycle. So you just have to just go for it.
1: And so now that you are in residency training, what do you find makes a good physician, right? Like you're saying, it's not just your scores. It's not just your ability to put together a CV or a personal statement. It's a lot of things. What do you find stands out to you and to your program directors?
0: Um, trust me, it's not all about the scores. And patients, they already expect that doctors know a certain amount of information. So they're not going to be like, oh, that doctor is more than that doctor. They don't really care about your step one grade. They don't really care about your, your medical knowledge, really. It all goes down to bedside manners and compassion and care. I mean, those simple things that your parents always tell you about, that manners will take you far away. So those are the things that it boils down to, like patients will remember, and they're big on that up here in terms of, you know, how the patient grade you. They're never going to grade you about, oh, he didn't order a CT scan, he ordered an ultrasound. Nobody cares, really. I mean, most doctors know what to do at this point in time. It's all about how did you make this patient feel safe, feel taken care of, feel loved in their most vulnerable time? How did you interact with their family members? Did you let them know that, hey, I'm gonna do this test on you? Or did you just order the test and then the patients don't know what's going on? They've just been pushed all over the hospital. They don't know what's going on with them. So it's all about going in there, spending the time at the bedside, talking to the patients, let them know what they're here for. A lot of patients, they, they come into the hospital, they get discharged and they don't know what they, what they came in for, right? So, it's, it's so important when you can tell the patients, hey, you are here for this, right? Each day you tell them that this is what you're here for and they will remember and those are the things that they will recall, right? So I would say that it's so important and I have gotten, like not to boast or anything, but I've gotten like a lot of green slips and a lot of awards and, and recommendations from patients and stuff like that just because of me spending enough time talking to them. And, you know, your program directors will hear about it your senior doctors will hear about it because the patients will tell them. when Once they come into the room after you, the patients say, hey, I like this, this person. And it's never because, oh, they're so smart. It's because they spend the time to listen to what I have to say. And they explain to me in very simple terms what is going on with me. So I think those are the things that really would set you apart from the average doctor. Everybody know that you're busy. The patients know that you're busy. They know that you're not, they're not the only patient you're seeing. You know, they know that. But if you make them feel that they are the only patient you're seeing or you're not feeling rushed, they really, really appreciate that.
1: So sometimes I hear from clients that the adjustment from, especially if they were in like a clinical practice for the ones who are already practicing and they were in a clinical practice here, like a family practice. that it can be a huge adjustment for them to have to see patients in a very narrow window of time. So I'm just curious about how you have made that transition, like given the restrictions on how long you can be with a patient in the U.S., how do you still manage to give them that feeling?
0: It's definitely a challenge, especially in the first six months of being in the program because, A, you're in a new country, you're in a new system, so you're getting to learn a lot of stuff I mean, electronic medical records is something that is foreign to most of us who study um, back home in Jamaica. We don't use that. So you're trying to get get comfortable with that. Secondly, the language, even though, even if it's English, you know, it's very difficult to understand some of these Southern accents.
1: And you have to
0: twang. You have to kind of like say things differently so that they can understand you. And then sometimes you do meet people who speak Spanish, which is a whole different bottle, kettle of fish. You know, my Spanish is very minimum from high school, so I can only understand minimum stuff. So that's definitely a challenge. So the patients do understand and they do tell them that this is a training program. So for the first couple of months, they will understand that their waiting time is going to be extended. And and they're usually okay with that. And and I think that as you get more and more comfortable with the system, it, it goes pretty quickly. So I think it just goes without saying that as when you're starting the program, it's going to take a lot of time, you know, you have to understand the system and then as it goes along it will get um, better and better for you. So I didn't really have any problems with patients saying that they have to wait too long. Usually the patient's actually is very appreciative of the service from the residence clinic, because it's a different clinic. They could always go other places, but they come to us because they have special needs that we we offer. A lot of places don't see certain insurance and if you're not insured, you can forget about it. So we do take care of a lot of these population that are uninsured, that are undocumented. So they do give us some slack for that. They do really like our service and they understand that we're in training. And it only takes a couple of months before we get into it and then we're seeing them in shorter time and they get more efficient. So expect to be slow at the beginning, but it will get better.
1: Um, and so in terms of your plans, like where do you see yourself broadly in the future? Like, do you want to subspecialize? Do you have that as a goal?
0: Yes and no. Um, I'm going to work first after I finish uh, my residence program. And then I will probably go into a speciality um, after that, depending on how I feel and depending on where the Lord is leading me as well. If I do decide to go into specialty, it will probably be gastroenterology that's my my first speak and if not then it probably be something like pulmonary critical care those are probably my top two
1: okay thank you and so what do you like to do for fun Sheon when you're not working
0: well I like to hang out with my family I'm recently married and I also just had a baby oh my gosh congrats thank you so (laughs) I like to thank (laughs) you And I also like to hang out with my friends as well. Um, I do like to do a lot of more outdoor stuff like nature, like hiking, walking, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. National Geography is like my favorite thing to sit and watch documentaries. So that's kind of like my thing.
1: Okay. So now I'm going to ask you 60 seconds of fun questions. And so what it is, is that you just listen to the question. Do not overthink it. And just say the first response that comes to your mind. All right. On a given day, clinical care or research?
0: Clinical care.
1: On a given day, teaching or clinical care?
0: Clinical care.
1: (laughs) Favorite type of music?
0: Uh, Probably gospel music.
1: Summer or winter? Summer. Fall or summer? Fall. Spring or summer? Spring. Favorite song?
0: Oh, man, I don't even know right now.
1: (laughs) Song that you have on rotation right now?
0: I don't have any song on rotation right now, actually. I seem like I don't listen to much music anymore.
1: (laughs) For vacation, Europe or the Caribbean?
0: Hmm, Probably Europe, just for the adventure. For
1: entertainment, football match, as in soccer or cricket match? Football. Who, dead or alive, would you most want to meet?
0: Probably Barack Obama.
1: What would you ask them?
0: How did it feel to be the first Black president of the
1: U.S.? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thank you. All right, Sheon, so we've had a pretty good discussion, and for you, it seems like, you know, you really value based on things that you've said, like you value your faith, you value being kind and compassionate to people, and so I wanted to know from you at the end of this, like at the end of your medical career, what do you hope your legacy will be?
0: I just want to be remembered as the the physician that really make a difference in people's life in terms of the healthcare that I was able to deliver to them. And I always try to teach people things about their selves and their disease, right? Others don't take care of the disease but the patient themselves. So I want to to be remembered as that physician who let patients learn so much about their condition so that they can make a difference in their in their life. And you know, it's not a good thing to see people back in the hospital every month, you know. I, I want to break that cycle. I want people to, to live a better life because it will really impact on their productivity and their family life as well. Nobody wants to be in the hospital every, every month, trust me. So that's what I want to be remembered for, somebody who actually cared about the patient and not just about the job because it's paying the bills. Mm,
1: thank you. All right, and so I'm gonna switch up this one on you because I'm actually really interested as my final question. So do you have a son or a daughter?
0: Oh yeah. Um, so I have a daughter. Her name is Sky Betty. So one week from can- Oh,
1: okay. Oh nice. Okay, so Sky S K Y E. Yeah, Sky. Okay, cool. Okay. Hi Sky. Sky. If you hear your, your name when your daddy's playing this podcast. But my final question to you would be: if you had to teach Sky one life lesson, the most important lesson that you have learned in life, what would that lesson be?
0: that people, we're all the same, um, no matter what um, we're coming from, where we come from, skin color, creed, religion, whatever. And we all just need love, really. And no matter how much that person looks hard on the outside or tough, we're all the same in, the, in really inside of us. We just need somebody who care for us. We all need love, we all need compassion. So I'll just say, be patient with people and just understand that people just need love. and you'll be surprised how much being caring to someone could just change how they view the world and how they view themselves. So that's what I'm trying to teach her.
1: Thank you. Oh, I feel like I learned so much more about you through this interview. Thank you so much for coming and for sharing your perspectives um, on not just preparing for the journey for IMGs, but also just on how to approach the practice of medicine. I think it was very refreshing to have this conversation. So thank you so much. Yeah. you're welcome. Thank you for tuning into the IMG Residency Match podcast to learn more about how you can match into your dream residency. Even if right now you don't know where to start, go watch a free training brought to you by the IMG Residency Match Application Accelerator at imgresidencymatch.com. By the end of the training, you'll know how to create an application that communicates to programs why they need to invite you to interview and rank you highly so you can match. Now, don't forget to share this podcast with at least one colleague you know applying to the match so you can celebrate together on match day. And be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Till next time, we close with a word of inspiration from me, your host, Shauna Kay. What you bring to the table is not as important as how you package what you bring to the table.